0: This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, a few years ago, there was a a Bob Newhart skit. Any Bob Newhart fans? Anybody over the age of 45 might be. I'm 43. Saw this on the internet. Uh, There's a skit, and he plays a therapist by the name of Dr. Schweitzer. And, and if you've not seen the skit, what happens is a woman comes in to, to see him. She scheduled an appointment with him, and she explains that she has this fear uh, of being buried alive in a box. And, and so Dr. Schweitzer asks her: Has anyone ever tried to bury you alive in a box? She says, no, uh, but no, but I panic, just thinking about it. I panic in an elevator, I panic in, in a tunnel. And so he looks at her and he says. I've got two words that I want you to incorporate into your life. And she says, should I write them down? He goes, no, it's just two words. I found that most people are able to remember them. And he says, you ready? She says, yeah. And he leans in, he looks at her. Stop it! That's all he says. That's the end of the session. And I, and I say that because if we're honest, when, when Megan read that passage this morning, It kind of feels like that's exactly what Jesus is saying, isn't it? He's like, are you worried? Are you anxious? Well, then just stop it. It's that easy. The short Jesus wept, stop it. The two shortest verses in the Bible, right? And what's funny, like, he doesn't just say it one time, does he? He says it three times in that passage. And it's jarring, isn't it? It catches you off guard because it doesn't sound like Jesus. And I don't get me wrong, Jesus, he, um, he said some things throughout the Sermon on the Mount that have been incredibly difficult for us to hear. And I told you on the outset of this series that the words of Jesus might not sound like what you had been taught, and the way of Jesus might not look like what you had thought. And we have seen that, we have heard that, and we felt it, and... This, though, this feels different. See, over the last few weeks, Jesus, he has lovingly confronted our misunderstandings. He has confronted our self-centered motives, but as he's done it, he's spoken the truth in love. But this, I'll be honest, this doesn't feel loving at first. This doesn't sound like Jesus, and, and so when that happens, I, what I want us to do is I want us to listen to the words of Jesus, and as we do, I want us to see into the heart of Jesus, the heart behind the words, when Jesus says, do not be anxious. Do not worry about your life, because I want us to see his words less as a command and more as words of comfort, less as a command more of comfort as Jesus helps us to see why we worry. That's our title this morning, Why We Worry. And this morning's passage, what he's going to do, he's going to give us two illustrations that help us see why we worry. He's going to give us two reasons why we worry. And then he's going to conclude by giving us two pursuits that I think help alleviate our worry and draw closer to God. And so Jesus, he begins with his opening statement here in verse 25 saying, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. What, like, what exactly does Jesus mean when he says anxious? What does what that mean? Well, A clinical definition for anxiety would be a response to the perception of a future threat or danger. You're worried about what what might happen in the future. And and there's a a broad spectrum uh, of the use of the word anxiety in our culture, isn't there? On one end of the spectrum, it's actually a very natural, normal response, even beneficial in some cases. It is your body responding to imminent danger. And so, let's say, for example, you're out hiking in the mountains, and as you're walking along, you see a cute little baby bear. And you're like, oh, a cute little baby bear. And you get your phone out, and you want to get as close as you can for that Instagram shot. Meanwhile, you hear something behind you rustling in the woods, and it's mama bear. And you've now found yourself between mama bear and her baby. Now, your body's going to tense up a little bit, isn't it? It's going to tense up, and it's going to respond to the perception of a future threat of being eaten alive by mama bear. And so what do you do? You run. That's one end of the spectrum. But on the other end of the spectrum, though, we feel anxiety when we, when we fear something far less likely to occur than being eaten by Mama Bear when she's standing right behind you. And it disrupts our daily lives because those what-if thoughts, they consume us. That's true whether it's phobias, Whether it's social anxiety, whether it's OCD, whether it's PTSD, and and let's call this bucket, let's call them Big A Anxieties, right? Capital A Anxieties. It's something I experience is something i've struggled with i've been open with you guys about my struggle and with seeing a therapist to help me walk through that and i say that because i think it's important before we before we get in that just like you would see an oncologist if you were diagnosed with cancer no one would question that just like you would see an endodontist if you wanted to get a root canal side note never see your general dentist for a root canal See the endodontist. That's exactly what he went to school for. Most of their business is by botched jobs from dentists. Okay, That's got nothing to do with the text. That's just free extra advice. Jill used to work for an endodontist. But we don't think twice about going to see them. And we also shouldn't have to think twice about seeing a trained, licensed therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist when we struggle with anxiety. Amen? That should just be normal. But let's step back for a second. I don't think here when Jesus says do not be anxious, I don't think what Jesus is talking about is that we shouldn't run when we find ourselves between a mama bear and a baby bear. I think if Jesus were here, he'd be like, yeah, I'm good with that. I think you should run. Uh, and I also don't think Jesus is saying just stop it. I, I don't think he's saying that we shouldn't get the medical help when we need it. No, I think when Jesus says do not be anxious, he's talking about that, that worry that we experience in the day-to-day course of our lives, what we're going to call Little a anxiety, lowercase a anxiety. And he gives examples here of having enough food to eat, of having clean water to drink, of your health, of the the clothes that you wear. Ethan, the other day, my 10-year-old son, one of my 10-year-old sons, I should clarify. Ethan, uh, he came home uh, from the dentist the other day, and as he was telling me how it went, he he said he had to go back in a week uh, to get a, a filling fixed. And as he was telling me, like, you could see the worry on his face. And the worry wasn't about some unknown that awaited him. No, it was about what he knew. This wasn't his first rodeo at the dentist. And knowing exactly how he was feeling, I just asked him, I was like, Hey, buddy, buddy, how you feeling, bud? I said, I'm worried. I'm worried it's going to hurt like last time. And I knew that that worry would just be hanging over his head, all week, consuming him. And that's what I think Jesus is getting at here. I think it's that all-consuming worry. John Stott, he says in his uh, commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, we are upset in the present, we're upset today, about some event which may or may not happen in the future. Right? We're upset in the present about some event that may happen in the future. That's why I think I actually prefer the, the CSB's uh, translation here of do not worry about your life because I think it better reflects the the specific type of day-to-day anxiety of lowercase anxiety that Jesus is talking about here and that worry it overwhelms us we're worried about having the right things and enough things we're worried about what we're going to do after we graduate from college We're worried about losing our job when we find out our company's downsizing. We're worried about having enough money to pay the bills. And as parents, let's just be honest, we're always worried about our kids. We worry. And I think social media has only heightened that sense of worry, especially in this last year is where you ever find yourself just scrolling through post after post, negative, negative, negative. They actually have a name for that now. It's called doom scrolling. And, uh, and what's happening is you're really like, why do I keep going back if it's always so terrible? Like, why? Why have we not all deleted Facebook? I don't know. And some of you that have are like, I can tell you why I did. We'll catch up with y'all. What we're doing is we're searching for control in a world that feels like it spun entirely out of control. And doom scrolling, all it does is it backfires on us, doesn't it? There's one therapist that said the other day, he says, it introduces us to problems beyond the scope of our agency, beyond our capacity to handle. We weren't made to know about every problem everywhere at all times. But now we have that access. So he says, it introduces us to problems beyond the scope of our agency. And he says, when our awareness outpasses our agency... We are left with anxiety. That worry, that anxiety, it's the result of laying up treasures on earth. All right, this morning's passage, it is simply a continuation of last week's passage. Right? That's what the therefore is there for at the beginning of this passage. We have this desire uh, for control and for security in our lives. And so we lay up treasures on earth, hoping it will provide it. We, we obsess over obtaining them and we serve whatever master promises to provide that security. But I think what we find is rather than relieving the worry, it only increases the worry. We're just living this vicious cycle that spirals out of control. And it'd be real easy right here for Jesus to tell us to just stop it. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't because, thank God, Jesus is not Dr. Schweitzer. No, Jesus way, it's, it's more loving, isn't it? It's more compassionate. It is more patient. And that's why I truly believe Jesus. He doesn't mean this just as a harsh command, but these words as comfort. He's saying there's no need to worry. It's going to be okay. And he reveals why. He doesn't just tell us, right? He he helps us see why. He reveals why in a series of four questions that cause us, I think, to pause and to reflect on what's really most important in our lives. And the first question Jesus asks, it's here at the end of verse 25, and he asks, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, let's be clear, Jesus is not calling into question the goodness and the necessity of Of food and clothing he's not doing that but he is calling us to reflect on their priority in our lives he's questioning how we view our life in relation to our possessions to separate who we are from what we have and he's asking us have we made good things have we made necessary things the ultimate thing and could that maybe be the source of your worry and he goes on here then to give these two illustrations that help us reflect, help us to see why we worry. And the first deals with birds. And so he says in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Birds, birds are not farmers. They do not grow their own food. Uh, we have some hawks that were nesting out in the front tree the other day. I'm pretty sure they were hunting their own food, uh, but they didn't grow their own food. They don't go to Costco once a week like we do and stock their pantry up. They, uh, they weren't hoarding toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic like we were, and yet the birds have enough. They have enough to eat and they have enough to eat because God as father, as creator, he cares for his creation, doesn't he? He cares for all of his creation by providing for his creation. And so the second reflective question that he asks here at the end of verse 26 is this, he says, are you not of more value than they, than of the birds? God's calling us to reflect on on how he, on how, on how God views us, on how he views humanity in, in relation to the rest of his creation. And, and what he's saying is if God provides for the birds, how would he not also provide for, for humanity? The only aspect of creation created in his own image. It's sort of like, for example, if I said we're going to go to a baseball game and I got y'all excited, and instead of a major league game, I only took you to a minor league game. right? I took you to go see the Chicago Dogs. And, oh, I took you to go see the the Schomburg Boomers, right? And let's say you enjoy yourself. You had a great time. How much more would you enjoy yourself if I said, we're going to go to Wrigley and see the Cubs beat the Cardinals? I knew there was going to be one of you in here. We love you anyway. But for the rest of us, how much better would that be? That still was kind of not all that excited. I'm not spending $150 on a ticket to Wrigley for you guys with that response. But he's not doing that. He's not comparing God here to a, a person or butler. He's not referring to him as your personal DoorDash delivery service that brings whatever you want whenever you want. Martin Luther, he, he noted here, he says, while God provides for the birds, notice he doesn't drop the food into their mouth. No, the birds, they've got work to do. And just as God provided for the birds, He provides for His people. We see a great example of this in Exodus 16. As Israel, they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And they were worried about what they were going to eat in the middle of the desert, right? There's no Costco. There is no DoorDash delivery in the middle of the desert. And so what God did is He told Moses, He says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven, manna from heaven. And I'm going to provide for my people in a miraculous way that no one saw coming. But even though I'm going to provide, he's like, you guys have work to do. Each day for five days, you're going to come out and you're going to gather that bread. And then on the sixth day, you're going to gather twice as much bread so that on the seventh, on the Sabbath, you can rest. Six days of work and one day of rest. And Jesus is extending that same promise to his followers, to us as God's new covenant people, as the church, that God will provide. But at the same time, we have work to do. But also, let's let's be careful. Let's not turn this into some prosperity gospel. Notice that Jesus, he didn't promise to provide what you want. He didn't promise to provide as much as you want or when you want or the way you want. He promised to provide what you need. And that means a couple of things. I think that means that there's going to be times where we are going to go with less. There's going to be times where we are uh, going to need to humble ourselves and receive from others who have more. But that also means there's going to be times where we do have more. And he's going to call us to be generous with what we have, giving to those who have less. Reflecting on this part of the passage, John Stott, he says, the most basic cause of hunger is not an inadequate divine provision. I think we could all agree there's enough food in the world. He goes on to say, the most basic cause of hunger is not an inadequate divine provision, but an unequal human distribution. He says the fact that God feeds and clothes His children does not exempt us from the responsibility of being the agents through whom He does it. We've got work to do. Think about it. We rarely worry about having too much, don't we? We, we worry instead about having too little. And, and the difference between those two, I don't think it's about amount. I think it's about perception of the amount. And So I want to ask here, I want to pause and I want to ask, are you hoarding what you've gained with closed hands, worrying about gaining more, Or are you stewarding what you have been generously given with open hands, looking to give away more? See, Jesus, He's calling us for a change in perspective here. It's not a change in amount, it's a change in perspective in how we view what we have. Grateful for all that God is generously giving us and believing that in some way it is enough. And so he follows this question with his, his third reflective question in Verse 27. And he asks in verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You see how he's patiently and lovingly guiding us along this path, like baby steps? And this one here, it's a far more practical step. And he's asking, what good is your worrying doing? What good is it doing? Is it it changing Anything? It's like holding on to that worry about things that you cannot control. It's like holding on to that expired coupon or that expired gift card that's sitting in your drawer from 20 years ago. It's not good anymore. It's worthless. It's of no value. And what Jesus wants us to see is that the things that we think will secure our comfort are often the source of our worry. Rather than liberating us, they only further enslave us, robbing us of life rather than giving us life, right? They rob us of quality of life. Instead of focusing our attention and our affection on things that matter most, right? On loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and loving our neighbor as, our, as ourselves, we become distracted by things that we can't control. And, and what that does is that only increases our worry, doesn't it? And so we turn to things to calm our worry. We turn to alcohol. We turn to drugs. We turn to people. It robs us of quality of life. It also, though, it robs us of quantity of life. I mean, to be honest, it shortens our life. We are more susceptible to things like heart disease and strokes. We are literally working ourselves to death in search of that safety and security that we so desire. And Jesus, what he does is he follows this illustration of provision for the birds with one of the the beauty of the flowers. Look at verse 28 and 29. He says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They They don't make their own clothes. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these solomon's glory king solomon the son of david his glory and his wisdom was unmatched in the world to the point that in first kings 10 when the queen of sheba when she had heard of his fame it says that she came to jerusalem she wanted to she wanted to see this for herself with her own eyes and what what the text says is that what she encountered it took her breath away it was beyond the stories that she had heard and what Jesus is saying, is, yet even Solomon's glory, it paled in comparison to the beauty of the simple lilies of the field. And I love passages like this because what we see, everything that God made was good, wasn't it? God's creation was good. In the Garden of Eden, it says that He raised up trees that were beautiful, that were pleasant to the sight. And he, and he made food in the garden that in some, this might be one of the miracle of miracles in the Bible that was both nutritious and delicious. It wasn't kale. Kale, I think, maybe came in Genesis 3. But I love these because what we see is like, God clothed his creation in beauty, didn't he? God clothed his creation in beauty because aesthetic matters to God and he enabled our senses in order to more fully enjoy his good creation and so he follows this illustration with his fourth reflective question here in verse 30 and he asks but if god so clothes the grass of the field which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven and looks like chicago suburban grass in the month of june 2021 will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith the illustration of the birds, I think it helps us see uh, the bounty of all that God has created. And the flowers help us see the, the beauty of all God has created. And so, if God as creator feeds the birds, and if God as sustainer clothes the grass of the field, then won't God do the same for you? Won't He provide for you? Won't He care for you, O oh, you of little faith? Jesus says. And I don't think Jesus means that as an insult. I don't think he means that as a dig. But I do think he is confronting us, lovingly confronting us. Because what he's doing is, right there, he's revealing the reason we worry. He's revealing why we worry, and it is our lack of faith, our lack of faith and trust in God. We see that we worry today because we fail to trust in God's provision for tomorrow, don't we? Right, we worry today because we fail to trust in God's provision tomorrow. And that worry, what it does is it brings our focus downward and it brings our focus inward. The distraction, it draws our attention and our affections away from the glory of God and away from the good of others and it focuses on ourselves, looking out for ourselves. And we get caught in this vicious cycle because the more inward we turn, the more worried we become, don't we? Right? The more inward we turn, the more worried We become. And Jesus, he follows his two illustrations and these reflective questions now with two reasons why we worry. Look at verse 31 and 32 with me. It says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. And your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them all. Again, Jesus he begins not with a, not with a, a command, but with, with comfort. He's saying there's, there's no need to worry about these things. God's got you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. And yet in light of those words, we still worry, don't we? I read the words, and the words didn't make the worry go away. Why is that? I think Jesus gives us two reasons here. And the first reason we worry is that we don't trust that God can or will provide. Right? We worry because we do not trust that God can or will provide. That's the reason the pagans, the, the, uh, the, the Gentiles, those that worshiped other gods, that's why they worried. They worried about these things because they didn't trust their gods to provide. Remember we talked about them the other week that they had to do this two hours of like calisthenics and warm ups of, of shouting to their gods, repeating to their gods just to get their attention to wake their gods up from a nap, okay? And when they wake up for a nap and then they told them what they wanted, they weren't gonna remember, they were still sleepy. And so they were like, well, these gods really aren't very useful. And so they thought to themselves, you know what? If you want something done right, you do it yourself. And so they did it. And I think we slip into that same line of thinking sometimes. And you know what? I've I've worked hard for something, I've worked hard for that. I have prayed hard for that. I have waited on God for that. And it never came, it never happened. And what happens is you start to wonder and you start to worry. Maybe it's beyond God's power. Maybe He's unable to provide. He doesn't have the ability to do that. Or worse, maybe God doesn't care. And so we worry. The second reason Jesus gives here of why we worry is that we do not trust that God knows what we need. We don't trust that God even knows what we need. It it feels like the world is crumbling all around us, right? I mean, like every other day for the past year, doesn't it feel like you've heard the hoofs? And there's four hoofs, four horses coming, not just one. Like every week it feels like someone's posting something about the end times are here, revelations here, like the last year has been more awful than the last 2,000 years, but it's been bad. It feels like the world's coming to an end. And then you start to wonder, well, God, why aren't you doing something about it then? Do you not have Twitter, God? Because, like, it's pretty clear. Why? Are you just sitting there, God? Are you waiting for something? And you're like, you know what? If if it's not because you can't do something, if it's not because you won't do something, the only other explanation is you just don't even know what's going on down here. Right? Right? You don't know what we need. You are so far removed from creation up in that ivory tower in heaven. You're just simply unaware. You're too busy to even care about what's going on down here. And when that happens, rather than waiting on God, rather than trusting in God, we do it ourselves. We direct that faith and that trust that should be directed upward, we direct it inward. And the vicious cycle continues to spiral because the more inward we turn, the more worried we become. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? How do we break this cycle? How do we begin to just alleviate that worry? How do we begin to trust God again and to grow our faith in God? Well, Jesus, he gives us two pursuits here that are going to grow our faith in God in verse 33. It says in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Remember the other week I said we, um, we pursue what we prioritize? And so when we prioritize laying up treasures on earth thinking that they will provide the comfort and, and the control we desire, we will serve whatever master promises to deliver them. Seeking their kingdom, submitting to their reign Because as Jesus said last week, it is impossible for us to serve two masters. We will love one and hate the other. But again, what we find is they always let us down. Rather than providing the safety and the security that we are pursuing, they only bring worry and anxiety, don't they? And what Jesus is calling us here is to reorient our lives he's called us to reorient our perspective already now he's calling us to reorient our lives directing our attention and our affection upward toward god seeking him pursuing him with our entire being and that means prioritizing our relationship with god not just as another thing in life but as the most important thing in life amen god's just not some other thing that you do He's the most important one that we get to be with. And what Jesus is saying is that as we are with God, not doing for God, but as we simply abide with God, our faith and our trust in God will begin to grow. And he gives us two ways to do this, two pursuits. Number one, we seek God's kingdom by submitting our lives to Christ as King. We we seek God's kingdom by submitting our lives to Christ as king. And that means living in this earthly kingdom as citizens of another kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God. That means pledging our allegiance to another king, a divine king, the king of kings. See, as, as creator, God alone has the right to rule over his creation. Over every aspect of his creation, including our lives. And so as followers of Jesus, we willingly submit our entire lives to Christ as King. Not just our spiritual lives, not just our Sunday morning, but our entire life, every aspect of our life. And and we begin to see here, there is no sacred, secular divide. There's not the work you, there's not the home you, and then the church you, there's just the you you. Everything here is created by God. Everything is holy. Everything is sacred because Jesus reigns over all. He reigns over your vocation. He reigns over your finances. He reigns over your sexuality. He reigns over your relationship. He reigns over everything. And so we seek God's kingdom by submitting our entire lives to Christ as King. And number two, we seek God's righteousness by faithfully following the way of Jesus. Right? We seek God's righteousness by faithfully following the way of Jesus. That should be our deepest desire. And that means listening to the words of Jesus and learning to live out the way of Jesus. But that also means humbly acknowledging when you may have strayed from that way or found yourself going the wrong way. Because the words of Jesus may not sound like what you had been taught. And the way of Jesus may not look like what you thought. The way of Jesus, put simply, is a way of love. Of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And loving your neighbor as yourself. Trusting God and caring for others. And as we do, hear me say, like, the worry ain't going away like that. But the worry will begin to dissipate. And your faith in God won't be at 100 like that, but your faith in God will begin to grow. And I hope you you see then that Jesus, he, He closes this passage with almost the same words that He began with. Not as a dictator command, but as a loving Lord offering words of comfort. He says in verse 34, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow's gonna to be anxious enough for itself. I almost feel like Jesus has got a little wink in his eye when he says that. Tomorrow's gonna to be anxious enough for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I, I was just struck by the this beautiful ontological passage that I think I think speaks to our being of, of what it means to be human, of being finite and limited. And Jesus, he recognizes our human limits and capacities here. And he's comforting us in the midst of them and he's showing us how to live as humans, to live in a way that faithfully follows the way of Jesus in our finite being. Jesus here, he is caring for our emotional well-being. And he's saying there's no need to worry because God's got this, guys. That evening, as Ethan told me, that he was worried about going to the dentist, I just looked at him and I was like, I know, buddy. I hear you. Like, I never want them to be told that they need to just take those emotions and shove them in the closet. I want them to identify them. That's why I didn't tell him he was worried. I wanted him to tell me he was worried. I wanted him to recognize that. I wanted him to hear that I heard him. I understood that he was worried. I'd be worried too. And I said to him, I was like, buddy, do you know what passage Daddy's preaching this Sunday? He's like, I don't know. It's probably Sermon on the Mount, right? You're going to be in that till Jesus comes home. <laughs> he didn't say that part. That was me just reading his mind or your mind. And so I, I was like, do you want me to read you the passage? He goes, you're going to do it anyway, so sure. And I read it to him. And afterwards, I said, hey, buddy, is Warren about that dentist appointment next week? Is it going to make today any better? He's like, no. I was like, then how about this? Let's just go outside. Let's go enjoy this beautiful summer day, and we're going to worry about the dentist later. Deal? He said, deal, and we pounded it. Jesus knows we're going to worry about tomorrow. That's why he said this, because he knows we will. And he also knows why we worry, that we, we worry, and that worry, it only distracts us from loving God and from loving others, drawing our focus inward rather than upward and outward. And what I love is that rather than simply telling us to stop it, what he does is he comes alongside us, doesn't he? He, he, he? he puts his arm around us and he helps us to see why it is that we are worried. And he helps us to see how, how consumed we are by that worry. And so what I hope you see this morning in in the words of Jesus is that whatever that thing is that is keeping you up at night, whatever that thing is that you are worried about that lies ahead tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, I need you to know God sees that. God hears that. He knows that. And please hear, Jesus is not saying that you should not prepare for your life. He's not saying you should not prepare for what lies ahead. He's not saying that you should just cover your eyes and your ears and pretend that it won't happen because Jesus is not promising that what lies ahead will not come to pass. He didn't say that, did He? But what He is calling us to do, what He's calling you to do is to trust God today with what lies ahead tomorrow. That's our big idea. That's what I want you taking home today. Trust God today with what lies ahead tomorrow. Trusting that God is both sovereign and faithful. Trusting that His ways are higher than our ways, that His, ways are, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Knowing that for those who love God, who trust God, all things work together for good in some way that we may not ever see in this life. Living in light of eternity, our eternal salvation that Christ secured for you on the cross. And what that means for us is that while we don't know what the next second, the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next year, the next chapter of our life will bring, we don't know what it holds. We know how the story ends, don't we? We know how the story ends. It ends in eternal worship. This right here, what we're doing, it is just a taste of what we will spend eternity doing. As Jesus returns, ushering in the fullness of His kingdom, righting all that is wrong, restoring all that is broken, and reigning over a kingdom of peace. And my prayer is that the words of Jesus this morning would give you hope and grow your faith and lessen your worry about tomorrow. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.